welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you, our people at Sacred City Church, follow Jesus and the everyday normal rhythms of life. Now, if you're listening to this podcast from somewhere other than Sacred City Church, we're really thankful that you're listening. Please let us know. Give us a like, give us a comment, give us a subscription, uh, email me, put some stars on our page. Um, man, we're just really thrilled that you are listening to it. And you're finding this helpful. Um, I've got three gentlemen on the podcast. How's it going, Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director? Sam Schmidt, pastor at Sacred City Moline. Kevin Knorr, biblical counselor. All right, and we are rushing in where angels fear to tread today. We are continuing this kind of discussion on quote-unquote Christian nationalism, and um, we're just going to take it slow um, as we work our way through this. We're going to see these guys have got some questions that we're going to bring up. Um, but before we do, I, I kind of want to, why are we talking about this? I think we're talking about this, one, because there's some biblical reasoning behind it, right? There's some clear biblical reasoning. I'm just going to read um, Jesus as he's resurrected. He shows up. The last thing he says to his disciples before he ascends is he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, okay? Yeah. All authority on in heaven and on earth. Do you hear the two, let's just use classical two kingdoms language there. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God on this earth, okay? Mm -hmm. All authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. So Jesus's authority isn't just heavenly authority. Like there's this kingdom of heaven and all our job down here is just to get people to the kingdom of heaven. But his authority stretches all the way, all the way to all of his creation, right? Yeah. Even on this earth. So Jesus is the king of all kings in heaven and on earth. Mm. Right. We, we agree with that? Yep. Yep. Mm. So Jesus, king of the nations, says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Mm. Yes. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us always to the end of the age? He's spiritually present uh, through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Holy Spirit is with us. Holy Spirit is with us. Now a popular Christian professor tweeted out this week that there is no New Testament command to Christianize the nations. And the nations, he said, literally, the nations will not be Christian mm -hmm. before Christ comes back. Yeah. Now, was he reading his Bible? Yeah, he's. he's <laughs> okay, yeah. I just <laughs> thought, make sure we're on the same page here. No, I get why he says that. Mm. He's living in an age where things seem to be getting darker and darker and darker. Mm -hmm. If he was living, if he was living four hundred years ago, I don't think he would have. I don't think he'd be saying the same thing because mm. that's not what the founders of our country were saying. The mm. founders of our country were saying the kingdom of God is here. Hey. We've got land, we've got freedom, mm. we've got religious freedom, mm. people are being converted, Christ, we have Christian leaders, we have Christian uh, princes, if you want to call them that, but they're, you know, magistrates and different things, yeah. and they were, they were here to Christianize, not everybody, but the founding fathers were here to Christianize the West, mm. right, or America. But now we're in a darker season, and he's looking around saying, hey, obviously... And the scripture talks about wars and rumors of wars and people turning away from the truth at the end times and darkness and the Antichrist. And so he's saying, clearly, it's over. Mm -hmm. Christendom is over. The West has been lost, right? And obviously, Jesus isn't going to send a revival is what he's saying. Mm. 
Um, now I push back on that and say, man, I don't know. I don't know what Jesus is going to do. Uh, but right here, Jesus says that we are to make disciples of all nations and teach them to observe or obey all that they've commanded, and the Spirit is with us. So if the Spirit is with us, could we convert the Quad Cities? Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Lord willing. So for me, this professor, Owen Strahan is his name, by the way, which he's not, he's not a heretic in all the other things he said. He's just got a new book that came out. It's called The War on Men. It's probably going to be full of a, a lot of good things. But his understanding of the mission of the church is woefully inaccurate and inadequate in mm. my in my understanding and his understanding of eschatology is clearly a pessimistic doomsday eschatology it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse mm. and way, the way i hear that is the spirit isn't powerful enough the spirit isn't strong enough the spirit's not going to be at work and mm. so the world is going to go back to paganism where it was before christianity Man. now what why so christ is going to come we're going to christianize a large segment of the globe and then it's going to de-christianize and go pagan and then christ comes back I, why I, that doesn't make sense to me right. I, I think the bible reads two things are going to happen at the same time the wheat and the tares are going to grow together mm. and christ is going to harvest them both at the end time mm -hmm. So that means darkness is going to grow, paganism is going to grow, but those who claim the lordship of Christ and they stand upon his law, his word, his gospel, his truth, that they're going to grow and they're going to flourish and they're going to be blessed as well, mm. right? So the covenant keepers and the covenant breakers are going to, grow, are going to kind of grow side by side mm. is the way that I see it. So one of the reasons we're talking about it is because it's just in the culture people are talking about it. Another reason we're, we're talking, and it's in scripture and we think Jesus tells us to Christianize the nations. We think Jesus tells us to, to go and spread the gospel and, and build Christian civilizations. We think it's part of the, the mandate. Mm -hmm. But another reason is because I think liberalism has failed. What do you mean by that? So 19th, 20th century because of a lot of reasons. Um, you know, I can, I'm not going to get into all the philosophical underpinnings and presuppositions behind it. But basically, the West came to believe that we no longer needed God. We no longer needed scripture. Um, we could just study the world and get everything we didn't need to know from the world. Now, these people were already deeply informed by the Christian religion. Mm. So they already had a Christian worldview in a sense of basic understanding of right and wrong, ethics, morality. They already had a legal system in place that, would, that was shaped by Christianity, mm. political systems that were shaped by Christianity. So this is a largely the West, Christian nations who now decided, man, things are pretty good. We don't really need this religion stuff anymore. Culture's pretty good. So can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? Let's not really worry about, you know, all the different world religions. You don't even need religion. Everybody come here. As long as you want to get rich and live, uh, you know, kind of a, a Western lifestyle, mm. don't really bother anybody. Get your education. Go get a good job. Everything's going to be fine here. Just pay your taxes and everything's going to be fine. <clears throat> well, 
that's an inadequate worldview. You could call that secular liberalism, mm -hmm. right? My truth is not your truth. Your truth is not my truth. I, I'll just respect your truth and you respect my truth and just don't kill me, okay? Mm -hmm. Like basic stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I don't think that's, that hasn't worked and it's failed, and the reason I say it's failed is because... Um, the West has fallen. In a, in a lot of ways, the West has fallen. Our influence has fallen. We've got, in order to be a nation, you have to have a shared culture. You have to have shared values at your core, mm -hmm. right? And we no longer have shared values. By the way, um, I, we have the window open. We, we are smoking cigars. And we've got people here finishing some carpeting in our new building. And so you might hear some... Uh, random music playing in the background of a car that just drove by or some, uh, you never know what you're going to hear on the podcast, but, um, and some banging around some construction. So we apologize for that. But pluralism only works if you share basic core assumptions in your worldview. Right. I mean, we're seeing it now with just the understanding of life and death, like, or, or, or when does life begin? Or is a baby in his, their mother's womb a human being? Hmm. Right? We all, 100 years ago, we all shared the basic assumption that that was a human being that deserved to be protected. Hmm. Okay? Not that people didn't abort their babies or kill their babies, but they did it shamefully hmm. with a lot of guilt and cultural pressure against it. Hmm. Well, now we live in a society where we have no core, core values yep. and, and our highest values are personal autonomy and a person can basically do whatever they want. Mm. Well, if I'm raising my child to worship God, right now, you know, Roe versus Wade's been overturned and we're in Iowa and it's really hard to get an abortion here in Iowa. I think after, what is it, 12 weeks? I can't remember if it's six weeks or 12 weeks now in Iowa. But guess what? They can go right across the river mm. and get it on demand whenever they want yep. uh, in Illinois. And so that destroys culture. Mm. It's two different worldviews, mm. right? These people, it's like if they're killing babies in one state and not killing babies in another state, it, it makes it hard to really say we're the United States right. of America, okay? Now, that's just one, one example. As we open our borders and we allow more and more Muslims to come into our country, and, sp and the specific type of Muslims, not the Muslims that are already that are secular pluralists, basically, but Muslims that believe in Sharia law, right? They're coming over here, and, and their goal isn't just, just to get along with us and just to live here happy and, and go to college. Their, jo their job, their goal, is to convert us to Islam. Mm -hmm. mm. They want us to be, you know, under Sharia law. They want us to be a part of the caliphate. And so... You can't just smile and hold hands and act like everybody's on the same team with right. that type of worldview, mm -hmm. right? We're not. Right. And so many other reasons, but I think when you look around, our educational system has completely failed us. We are one of the least educated. Now, many people got a college degree and they go to school, but we're one of the least educated generations in the history of American society, yeah. you know, and the, and the West. We are... Our, our, our educational system has failed us. Our political system has failed us. We're, we're so overtaxed. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
Our government spends more money than they can pay. We know we're trillions, trillions upon trillions of dollars in debt. The, the fact that I'm using the word trillion, like we, we are a failed state. Like we are a, we are a failed state. Liberalism has failed us. It got mm -hmm. us here and it's failed us. And so there's, there are people out there trying to talk about, okay, what's post-liberalism look like, mm -hmm. right? If liberalism has failed us as a political movement, what's next? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of Christians who are standing up and saying, this all happened because we pushed away from Christianity, mm -hmm. right? We had an amazing country. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't perfect by any means, but we had an amazing country. We had some really good things going for us and we squandered it. We wasted it. We let our institutions go liberal, starting from our educational institutions like Harvard and Princeton and yeah, all these different places. We let them liberalize. And here's the deal. Liberalism doesn't have any core tenets. So conservatism is trying to conserve something. Mm. They have a set of core tenets that they're trying to conserve, that they're trying to go back to. Liberalism is just constantly trying to evolve, constantly trying to change. It's the next thing. It's just ev trying to evolve into the next thing. And that's why eventually it's, it just destroys itself. Mm -hmm. Right? And so many people are saying we need to go back to something different. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's other options out there. But Christian nationalism has kind of got a foothold. This publication of the book by Stephen Wolf, The Case for Christian Nationalism, um, has sold a lot of copies. It's got a lot of buzz online. And so that's why we are kind of um, going to talk about it. Now, I'm about halfway through the book. I'm not all the way through the book, and so I can't tell you 100% if I agree or if I disagree. So far in the book, he's making a solid case. Hmm. He's making a really solid case. And it doesn't seem intuitive, or I mean, it doesn't seem necessarily innovative to me. It doesn't hmm. seem like something new. It seems kind of like if John Calvin was alive today, what John Calvin tried to do in Geneva and did, did in Geneva, it's kind of like that in the American context. So it seems kind of classically reformed hmm. understanding of if Christian, if, if a society becomes Christian, how would it then govern itself? Mm. Okay, so it's not how do we capture the halls of power and push Christianity down, make everybody bow the knee to Christ. It's no, if there's a national revival, if there's a lot of conversion, if there's a lot of Christians and they're gathering together and voting dem democratically to elect consciously Christian leaders, mm. how then would those Christian leaders set up the nation, govern, mm. et cetera, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Okay? So, so far from my perspective, that's why we're talking about it. That's where we're coming from. So why do you think um, so many Christians are getting distracted, are leaving from Scripture the plan, the blueprint that God has given, and start playing this comp comparison game and getting lost in the words and all these different things? Uh, you're going to have to clarify that statement for me because I don't really understand it. It just seems like everyone's getting um, lost in um, Christian nationalism or like 
words that are being put out, um, Black Lives Matter, all, all these different things are, getting, are being put out, and they're losing focus of the mission, oh. as you just read. Well, I mean, ignorance and marketing mm. are the first two things that come to my mind. Yeah, for sure. Social media. Put two scary words together, mm-hmm. and everybody runs from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And then they're ignorant of what those two things actually mean, mm-hmm. right? Or they're ignorant of the arguments behind it. And so they get really, really scared, you know, and they run from it. And then if people are scared, they tweet, they Instagram, they Facebook, and then it spreads it. And most people don't read books. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, this is a very academic mm-hmm. and dense, densely argued. And um, I mean, it's, it's well-structured, well-articulated case for Christian nationalism and most people just want to dismiss it with a tweet Mm. because it's the guy's smart I can't remember where the guy went Yale I think the guy graduated from Yale Um, it's a he's a smart dude and he's and so it's much easier to dismiss it like the guy I was talking about that said there is no Christian this there will be no Christian that Uh, he's directly um, referencing Stephen Wolf's book and Stephen Wolf says, let's debate. And mm. the guy's running with his tail between his legs. The guy refuses to debate with him. Mm. Because, the, he, I mean, Stephen Wolf is, is a worthy opponent. He is a smart man. And he is not a caricature that these guys are trying to make him out to be. And he would probably annihilate Owen Strahan in a debate. I, w- I would pay money to see it. I would travel to see it. So, obviously, slogans are good marketing ta- marketing campaigns, marketing tactics, and they can create, um, you know, um, you know, they can put scary words together that make people not even engage with the argument. Mm. I think I think it's part of it. I mean, yeah, and and just a, I think the ignorance thing is a big piece. Like, how do you define nationalism? What do you going back to Christian like? You throw a bunch of things that people are unclear about what the definition is or what exactly or the the if you go downstream and dig into the practicalities they they jump to the worst conclusions they can go to and say oh this is so bad so yucky Mm -hmm. but that's the only idea that they have and so Mm. i think there's been a a lack of mindfulness of even approaching this Um, and of course it's all teed up by media you know Mm -hmm. whether your news outlet or you probably heard about christian nationalism with the the adjective white in front of it at yeah. some point from a the frustrating thing is that is that Christians are rejecting it you know and like we need to be united as Christians now we have a lot of differences within even the word Christian right we have a lot of denominations we have a lot of different understanding of what it means to be Christian what are the sacraments what is the ch- should the church look like um, but if you just ask some if you ask any Christian, would you want to live in a Christian nation? Why would any Christian say no? Right. And so what's so bizarre to me is that there's so many Christians who are rejecting this and basically doing the left's job for them. Like the left who wants still in holding on to the vestiges of secular liberalism or trying to push us over into some socialistic utopian type of society that's Mm -hmm. going to be the destruction of America um, as we know it. The forces from the left 
are so overwhelming and so powerful through the institutions that they've captured over the last 100 years, namely the entire educational system, all the way from kindergarten up into the colleges, right, mm -hmm. have been captured by the left, and they're promoting a radical, we would call it now, woke ideology of gender fluidity, sexual liberation, and all the chaos that goes with all of that stuff. And Christians can't just point at that and go, wow, look what liberalism has got us. Mm -hmm. Look what liberalism has got us. We're arguing if, if, if parents should cut off the genitals of their prepubescent kids because the kid wants to. Like, that's the stuff that, that secular liberalism has got us to, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're aborting babies by the millions. Like, that's where secular, secularism has got us to. Our divorce rates are through the roof. The single-parent homes are through the roof. Mm -hmm. That's what secular liberalism has got us. You know, like, it's in the 80s, a, a guy named George Gilder was talking about fatherlessness and he was talking about the role of man manhood they just the understanding of masculinity and femininity and and he's saying the number one problem in the ghetto is a lack of men taking ownership of their own children marrying their wife and and basically not discipling but uh, being in the home and at that time he was saying that in the 80s and it was tw and in the African American community it was 20 it was 25% of homes the father wasn't living in, 25%, okay? When he was saying that on Donahue and all these different shows, they were laughing at him, they were, they, were, they were calling him an idiot, they were saying he was a misogynist, they were saying all this kind of stuff. Well, today, it's 70%. In the, in, in the, in the, in the African-American homes, specifically in the ghetto, 70% of the homes do not have a father living under the, under the roof, okay? Mm. Now, today, the white families, not in the ghetto, just in white families, 25% of the fathers aren't in the home. So we're, at the same, we're in the same place that the African-American community was in the ghetto in the 80s. That's where the white families are now. Mm. So 50, 60 years from now, maybe even sooner than that, that's what the predominant homes in America are going to be fatherless. And that is what breeds crime. That's what breeds secularism in a lot of ways because they, these kids, don't, they don't know Jesus. They don't grow up knowing their father. They don't grow up knowing God. I mean, the, 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 the major ills that affect society stem from the father not in the home. Yeah. I mean... The most terrifying force on the planet is a group of men who don't have families. Hmm. It is the, the boatload of Vikings. Yeah. It is the pirates. It is the gangs. The barbarians. It's the barbarians. Men who don't know how to focus their intensity, their sexuality, their drivenness, under, under a wife, like... Their purpose. That's their purpose. That's their purpose towards their children. Mm. Like, they're not just out there trying to have sex with as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, man, I didn't know this podcast was going to go in this direction, but 
this here we are. George Gilder said that that women are the sexually superior of the species. Okay? And by that he means that, well, let me let me explain it like this way. A man can go from arousal to climax in a matter of minutes. Mm. That's his sexual cycle. Okay? Dang, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> now listen, a woman's sexual cycle, so he man only has one sexual organ. That's all we that's all we do. Mm-hmm. Right? That's all we do. A woman's sexual cycle, she's got multiple sexual organs, and her cycle goes from arousal to when the kid leaves for college. Dang. Because men better be patient. Well, well, let's <laughs> yeah, but listen to this. Listen to this. One sexual act for a man could mean nothing. Yep. One sexual sexual act for a woman could mean the next 18 years of my life. Mm. Because Again, she nurses that child. She gives birth to that child. She carries that child in her womb. She then she then nurses that child. She takes care of that child. And now what? She needs someone to provide. She needs that child to be provided for. Mm-hmm. She's going to care for that child until that child becomes an adult. Yeah. The Viking, the, the um, you know, that marauder type of man that just wants to spread his seed over where, everywhere, he could just, you know, have sex and, and leave, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to cost him very much. It costs her everything. It costs her a lot. And so what Gilder says has to happen is that man has to submit his sexual cycle to the woman. And basically what happens is, is she says, yes, I'll sleep with you. Yes, I'll have sex with you basically as often as you want to have sex, but I need something from you. Mm. I need you to provide for me. I need you to protect me. Okay, I need you to help me raise these kids. So basically what she's saying is, I need you to focus your intensity, focus your strength, focus your power, focus your potency towards this one family. Yeah. And what I will give you, not only is, is sex, I will also give you progeny. I'll also give you a legacy. Your name will live on into the future. Mm. And so, what, so the, the woman basically says, I'll give you my body, and I'll give you a crown. Mm. I'll give you a kingship to rule. I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you make decisions, right? Now, when the woman says, oh, no big deal, you don't need to do any of that. I'm just here for a good time. And she's liberated. What The only person who actually gets liberated is the man. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? She still gets pregnant. She still has kids. She still has, has mouths to feed. Now she's got to do two jobs. She's got to raise the kids and work somehow and provide for them and protect them. And she can't do it on her own. So mm-hmm. what does she need? She needs a big government to help her do it. Mm. Right? But all she liberates is the man. Now the man can go be a child. He can go be an adolescent who just tries to spread his seed to as many women as possible. And that's exactly what you have in the ghetto. You have men going from woman to woman to woman, multiple babies all over the place. He's not taking care of any of them. He's not protecting any of them. He's not providing for any of them. And you've got all these women trying to, trying to run the community, try to lead the community. Mm-hmm. And they can't do it. Kilder says the one thing a woman can't do by herself is raise a man. Mm. And it's been proven. Now, the ghetto, the ghetto proves it. It's been proven over the last 50 years. But we, the rest of society, middle class America, is now in a very similar place to where the ghetto was in the 80s. Right? And that, and that we've got people supposedly red-pilled and black-pilled, even in the cons- conservative movement, saying... You shouldn't get married anymore. Marriage is for dummies. Marriage is 
you know. And, and so this is what liberalism has brought us. They have nothing to, they're not conserving anything. They don't have any central tenets. It's just absolute freedom for each individual and it leads to ab- abject chaos. Mm-hmm. It leads to chaos in the society. Right? It, it's hard to organize a whole society around everybody that wants to function as an individual. So the idea of one of the things that Christian nationalism does, it, it hones people in. It, it agrees on here are our values, here's our telos, here's what we're aiming for, um, and let's go together. But with secularism or pluralism, widespread individualism, there is everybody's pointing in their own direction. So you can't have a unified nation. You can't have... You can't have people working towards the same goal because you can't agree on what that goal is in the first place. Yeah. And there's different branches of conservatism, but one of the tenets of conservatives is let's conserve the family. Yeah. The family is the most important foundational unit of any well-ordered functioning society. And liberals are attacking the family. Yes. And trying to drive a wedge between children and their parents, and they want the state to basically ultimately parent. Yeah, supersede the authority of parents. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to conservatives that are like nervous about the words Christian nationalism, I would say chill out. Read the book. Be patient. I'm not saying I agree with everything in it, and I know there's Christian nationalists that um, I don't agree with, you know, they've, they've got some extreme views or, or something like that, but we should be able to come together and stop fighting amongst ourselves. Right. And, and work for the Christianization of America, the re-Christianization of America. And now maybe, maybe one pushback I could say is pragmatically. So the pragmatic pushback Yeah, I don't see that happening. I don't see this happening anytime soon. But we should understand ideas have consequences. And so what we're talking about, right, the reason this book is important and this concept is important, if you don't get the theology in your mind, if you don't get the philosophy in your mind, if you don't get the ideas in your mind, you're never going to actually have the faith to believe that God could actually do it. And if you don't have the faith to actually do it, then you're not, you're never going to live it out. Yeah. Cause you'll just end up with Owen with his tweet and you'll make no effort to establish a Christian nation. You'll make no effort to establish not just a singular disciple individual basis, but a whole yeah. group of disciples. I raise my kid in a Christian way. I give him a classical Christian education. He grows up on fire for God and he feels he's called into politics Okay, Owen, should I say, no, son, politics is not under the authority of King Jesus. That's for the godless folk. That's just just for the secular liberalists. Liberals, we're not not doing that. No, don't go into politics. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. No, there's not one square inch of all creation that Jesus doesn't say mine, and that includes politics. And so if my kid wants to be a graphic designer, I'm going to say, yeah, and do it Christianly right? Take mm-hmm. dominion in that area. Yep. Yeah. Politics, take dominion. Mm-hmm. If so, so pr- I, the, I think people might be afraid of the pragmatic, like, because our nation isn't predominantly Christian right now. Uh, maybe they say they are, but they're practice practicing. They're not that we're thinking if we can just get a Christian president, then he can enact old Testament laws and start, you know, killing homosexuals or something. It's like, no, that's not the plan. Mm-hmm. 
That's not the game plan. Right. Christianity grows through conversion, but we convert and we convert and we convert and we build. We build societies. We build civil governments, right? And when we build, we want to build in a Christian way. Mm-hmm. When we legislate, we want to legislate in a Christian way. So um, I, I think a large, lot of it is ignorance. A lot of it is just a defeatist mentality. And listen, hey, if, if I'm wrong in my eschatology that I believe that Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is actually going to convert the nations, um, <clears throat> okay, then I'm going to be really happy and I'm going to be building and then Jesus is going to come back before I think he is. Yeah. And I'm going to be really happy. But if I'm pessimistic and I think Jesus isn't going to convert the nations, our, everything's just going to get worse and worse, and I'm wrong, mm-hmm. I'm going to get to heaven and Christ is going to say, why did you live? Why were you working like I was a loser? Yeah, why'd you bury those talents? Why'd you bury those talents? Why were you working like you weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit and you couldn't govern the way that I wanted you to govern? Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't, the pushback doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, the, I think the optimism of, okay, what the Lord can do really can drive like really faithful activity. If, if we, it's like this, if you're, if you're playing a basketball, if you're high school, junior high or whatever, playing a basketball game, your team is down 70 points. There's three minutes left on the clock. There's no likelihood you're going to win. How do you go into that game? You go in that, your head's hang, hung low. You, you're not going to give your best effort. You're, you're just tapped out. You just want the clock to die out. And then if, that's kind of like the loser mentality that a lot of Christians have is it's not going to go well at the end. Like, there's no chance. Mm. But, but really when we see things from Christ, that all things are possible with him. Like he can convert the nations. He, yeah. like he has all that All of those capacity. scriptures, all of those scriptures that talk about things getting darker and darker were written in the first century. And it was talking about the end times. And they said they were in the end times. Mm-hmm. And then they were, the end times began when, with Christ's eschaton, Christ right. going back uh, the second time. The end times began there, okay? Right. We don't know how long the end times are going to be. And what do I mean by, why do I bring this up? All of those dark doomsday scriptures were there when they Christianized the nations, yeah. right? Yeah. So we are here and the nations need to be re-Christianized. Why can't he do it again? Yep. I have no hope. Yeah. I just, it's frustrating. Mm. But, Sam, you had a question. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head now. If you remember. Yeah, we, so I think this, this probably has to do with more of the myth or the, the scare when people hear the idea of Christian nationalism. Um, if we borrow Abraham Kuyper's idea, sphere sovereignty, that if we, in fact, Christ is Lord over all things, all authority in heaven and earth, and God has established institutions, so the three primary institutions being the family, the household, the church, and the civil magistrates, or the government, um, and, and giving each one of those spheres their own jurisdiction, their own responsibilities to tend to, one of the things that people, when they hear Christian nationalism, is thinking that the church is basically just going to, the line between state and church will get so blurred that the church mm-hmm. will become the, like our, our president will become a pastor or a pastor <laughs> president or some sort of church governing the land sort of mentality. Um, and so um, I guess that would be one of the myths, that, that idea that, that eventually, if Christian nationalism is what people mis, misconceive it to be, the state will get gobbled up by the church and there instead of three spheres of sovereignty, you're yeah. left with two. Yeah. 
So that is not Christian nationalism. That would be an ecclesiocracy where the church is over the government or the church, you know, as in your words, gobbles up the government. Um, that's Rome, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's Rome right now. Rome is an ecclesiocracy. It's ruled by the Pope, and that's Rome. Mm-hmm. That is not what um, Christian nationalism is. Christian nationalism is a, is a, from my perspective, is a return to democracy. Yes, it does have a separation of powers between the church and the state. The, um, the state has the, the power to enforce the laws mm-hmm. of the land, right? They are given the sword to enforce. They do not have the power to enforce conversions. They can't enforce, they can't control the minds and the hearts of the people. They can control their behavior. Yep. So it would be okay if the government said, from now on, Sundays are a Sabbath and no businesses can function on the Sabbath unless, quote unquote, you know, whatever, you know, you're in it. Now, I, I, I hesitate to use the word essential business anymore because that's got <laughs> some, taint, loaded. some tainted, loaded language. But whatever, if you're an essential business, potentially you, 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 can, you can work on, on the Sabbath. Now that is governing behavior. <clears throat> that's not g- governing hearts and minds and, and belief. Right. We don't really care if you think the Sabbath is holy unto the Lord and the civil magistrate, you just have to obey it, right? Call it your day off. Whatever you want to call it, there it is. But mm-hmm. they're going to enforce it. Now, the church is meant to um, deal with the hearts and minds of people. So we're trying to convince people of the goodness of Christ. We're trying to convince people of the goodness of the law. We're trying to uh, preach to our magistrates the, the, the goodness of God's law and how to use it lawfully and, and how to write just laws, right? That you don't, just, you can't, secularism tells us you can invent laws out of your, out of thin air and just come up with laws. No, no, no. Laws should be based on an eternal standard, which right. is in the, the character of God and then revealed yeah. to us in the law of God. You think of, uh, we're told in scriptures that the civil magistrates are there to promote good and to punish evil. And you have to ask by what standard, yes. how are we evaluating what is good and what is evil? And for Christians... We would say we go to God's standard. That God knows best. God is ultimately wise, and so we're going. Let's to just do an example default. here. That's you. Get, we're 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 really highly intelligent secular pluralists, and we say, Sam, we all know, we all know that deep down we have a shared sense of morality. Okay, and let's say through the mirac- the miracle of time travel, science has revealed we can time travel now, and an Aztec comes back from several hundred years ago and he moves in next door, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, his moral compass is slightly different than yours. Yes. He actually believes in human pagan sacrifice and eating the flesh of his enemies. Yeah. So would you like, you know, I mean, is this the, are we going to share, pl- you know, secular pluralism, your truth and my truth? When you when you when you invite him over for dinner, he has a totally different understanding of what that actually means. Yeah, right. you would need <laughs> to have brains. a very a very good neighborhood watch committee. If that's, <laughs> if that's the case, he's no, he's coming over to eat you for dinner. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to have dinner. Oh boy, yeah, no, you can't do that. You, you, there has to be a shared standard 
uh, in order to, again, to align a society towards what is good and what is evil, uh, to be able to identify those things. Yeah. So, yes, we are not conflating the two, the church and the state together. That's not what we want. We want to have a shared standard of morality, a shared standard of truth, a shared standard of beauty. And ultimately, you can only build a real culture, a real society, if you have that shared standard. Yep. Right? That's true. And that standard must be in line with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend just sent me a tweet, and I didn't look into it, and I could be wrong, because he sent me a tweet, and I read it, and I laughed. And it said, Victoria's Secret is is no longer going woke and they're going back to sexy. I, uh, I saw that. I you saw did that. see it? I said it was like a New York Times article or something. Was it? Okay, I didn't click Some, on something it. Something along those I lines. I didn't click on it. I didn't read it. So I, I, I maybe. But why? Because beauty, there is an objective standard to it. Yeah. And you, there's no way what they've been doing to try to, they've basically been saying what beauty is 100% in the eye of the beholder and so you can be 600 pounds or you could be, you know, really ugly or you could be this or that and you're still beautiful, girl. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is they're a company and they have to sell product. And their client base said, nope, that doesn't work. And so now they're going, so why, why, do, why do I say that? Because their standard of beauty didn't align with reality, yeah. the mm. way God built the world. And so guess what? They're a business. So now they got to let their secular liberalism go for a second. Their wokeism, they got to let it go because they got to make money. Right. They're not, they weren't, their values were not aligned with the real world. Mm. Right. Now, now they're just going back to being plain old sinners that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not here to endorse their standard of beauty. We would have some pushback on some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But there is an objective reality to it. There is an objective reality to it. So now they're just sinning in plain old sexual ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we see liberalism has failed because it was built on a faulty foundation. It wasn't built on Christ. When Christ said the only foundation that w- is not sinking sand is him. Mm-hmm. So if we want to build a nation, if we want to build a family, we want to build a church, we want to build a city, we want to build a state, we want to build a nation. On an eternal foundation, it's got to be on Christ. Yeah. If that's true in an individual, like we, we would all receive that in an individual sense. If I want my life to weather the storm, it needs to be built on Christ. Why, why wouldn't that logic apply to a larger scale of the whole nation? If we want our nation to stand and to prevail against all kinds of adversity and all kinds of terrible ideologies, our foundation it must be Christ. Otherwise, yeah. we just go along. We get yeah. we are the ones that now get tossed to and fro by this. And they would they, people would push back and say, "Oh, the only eternal kingdom is Christ's kingdom." Well, that is true. The only eternal kingdom is Christ's kingdom. But there are nations around when Christ comes back because yeah. the nations bring the wealth of their goods into the New Jerusalem. I want the United States of America to be one of those nations. Yeah, I want us to be bringing our gifts and saying, Jesus, we served you to the best of our our ability. We built the best thing we could possibly build. We were trying to preserve life. We were trying to promote the family. We were trying to safeguard the religious freedoms of the church and the Christians in our society. We didn't go along with the secular liberalism stuff that Babylon and Satan tried to promote. Like I I want us to be that nation. Mm. Now, are we going to be that nation? I don't know. So question, I keep looking at this book. And it says uh, Christian nationalism. 
And anytime we put ism at the end of something, it's always bad. Why couldn't it just be Christian nation? Yeah, so that's a good, good question. So far in the book, he has said that Christian nationalism is not an ideology. So usually when you put an ism after something, it becomes an ideology. And ideologies are oftentimes they've become an alternate way of viewing the world that's not biblical. Yeah. And he says it's, it's not, but it's a way of forming a Christian nation. It, is, it does not mean that all people in the society are Christians, but it means that our shared values are ordered to the heavenly kingdom. Mm. Okay? Our shared values, assumptions, ways of living are ordered to the heavenly kingdom. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying then the kingdom of Christ is the ideal kingdom, and that's in heaven. And we are to order our lives in this world according to that kingdom, yeah. right? In line with that kingdom. And so that's how we're to build our families. That's how we're to be husbands. Like we're to shepherd how? Like Christ, or we're to... Love our wives like Christ loves the church. There's an ideal in heaven that we're to order our life by, mm -hmm. right? There's a kingdom of God in heaven that we're to order our church by. There's a kingdom of God in heaven that we're to order our nation by. So that's the ideal, and we need to order it. And so that's why he uses the word um, nationalism. Mm, that's good. In that sense. Any other thoughts or questions? All right, well... Hopefully this has been a little bit helpful to you. Again, we're just moving the ball down the court. We're going to keep answering your questions as you send them in. I, we really do appreciate all the questions that you send to us, and we're going to do our best to answer them. Um, guys, we really do love you. We're praying for you, and God bless. Mm -hmm.